There we go. I'm live, apparently. Live. I'm alive as well, yeah. God willing. Look at me, no props. That'll make a change now, doesn't it? I was becoming a bit of a pattern. Can you hear me clearly enough? Kind of. Ish, don't need to be louder. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, this is part 9 of our series in Galatians. There's 12 in all, three more to go. But we're doing the first kind of half of Galatians chapter 5 today. Let me just pray before we start. Lord, just as we come to your word right now, let us not lose our heart of worship, but let us now not just worship through song, let us worship over your word. May you reveal yourself in greater measure to us through this this morning, to me included, that we might know you more, we might see you more, we might realise more of what you've done for us and how much you love us. Let us not walk away from here unchanged. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, what's going on this morning? Well, I'm sure there have been some questions, and I know David and Julian have both touched on this a little bit in the past couple of Sundays while we've been away. We are back with a vengeance, aren't we? We did catch the sun, but they asked us to give it back. So, so I've caught up with the sermons. I've been listening in. It's great stuff. Really, really good stuff. And I'm sure a question still keeps arising. Galatians is all about not the do's and don'ts of how to be saved. But then this niggling question still keeps arising, doesn't it? Well, does that mean it's a free-for-all? Does that mean you can still do what you like? Because I know the answer's no, but academically you look at it and go, well, if it's not about do's and don'ts, what is it about? And it is about not the do's and don'ts to be saved, but it's what Jesus has done. But then still, what do I do now about it? I've still got to do stuff, haven't I? And not do stuff. So you're saying it's about do's and don'ts, or are you not? (laughs) Make your mind up, Steve, Paul, whoever. And I hope we'll be able to explain a little bit more of that and understand that a bit more this morning. But I just love the phrase that David used from two weeks ago, you were, weren't you? David explained that for a believer, Christianity, our faith in Christ is not a DIY faith. It's not do it yourself. It's about what he has done. But what he has done should have repercussions in our life in response to that. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's reaching the, he's crescendoing, if you like, in his argument for these people in Galatia, saying it's not about rules and regulations but it is about a response to Christ. Out of what he's done for you, you have stepped into this salvation that he's he's, he's offered you and he has rescued you. There is still a consequence to that that is expected to honour him. So it's not about do's and don'ts, but it is about a relationship now. It's very different. So today I'm talking about gospel freedom. Is freedom about doing what you want when you want? I think if we did a straw poll down the high street, what does the word freedom mean? Most would say doing what you want when you want. I think my initial reaction would have been that as well. The Bible here, Paul here, Jesus says freedom is not about doing what you want when you want. Freedom is different. It's a different kind of choice. I'm going to tell you a little story that I'll refer to again later. But there's a book called Half the Sky by a couple of journalists. They're a married couple. They've got different names. Nicholas Christoph and Cheryl Wudun. Great name. Married couple, journalists, and they've been investigating 
um, particularly children, but people involved in, as sex slaves in the sex industry, but actual slaves, not just willing volunteer, voluntary prostitutes, but those that are captured and enslaved into this industry. You think slavery is dead today. William Wilberforce dealt with it 150, 200 years ago. No, there are 27 million people enslaved in this world today, many of them in our country, 10 million of them, 10 million are in the sex industry and unable to get out. Passports taken away, drugged up, whatever reasons. 10 million, many of them in this country, from other countries, many underage, and they never see the light of day except to see other men. Slavery exists still today. And these guys were investigating some of these stories. I actually heard, as an aside, I actually heard 44 people, 44 young people were rescued from sex slavery in India yesterday. Praise God. I thought it's worth sharing. That's a good thing. People are being rescued. But what this couple say in this book is that rescuing actually is the easy part. Rescuing is the easy part. For example, there was a girl, they, they came across her story from Cambodia called Mom, M-O-M-M. Mom. She was a young teenager. She was rescued from sex slavery. She'd been in there, stuck in there for five years and she got rescued. And she got driven home to her village. And the people who knew her, there I go, I'm going to do a Stevie now, I'm going to start crying again. Most sermons, isn't it? Sorry. Driving home to the village, some of the villagers saw her and they just erupted. Mum's back! She's rescued, she's free! Mum's here! And they started having a party and more people started hearing the noise. It's a true story. And more people kept coming. It was amazing. Mum's home! Never thought this would happen. Her mum was in the market running her stall. When she heard what was happening, comes running. 90 minutes before the clamour died down. 90 minutes of permanent, spontaneous party. Mom's home. That was the easy part. Because early one morning, mom crept out the house, went back and never came back. The reason was she'd been hooked on methamphetamine, which is what these pimps do to keep them. They get a drug addiction and she was craving the drug. Knowing full well what she was going back to, she needed that drug and she went back. And time and time again that can happen. They're crafty, these guys. They know exactly what they're doing. And that's what Paul's saying here. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read it now. He's saying, why would you want to go back? But also please be very aware that you can go back and not realise you're doing it. Or know full well what you're doing, and yet you're still going back to the old ways. So let's read. It'd be the first 15 verses. The NIV separates it into a certain kind of section. We're going to go a little bit past, up to the end of verse 15. From verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There's the old classic song. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, that was a big original argument, wasn't it? Christ will be of no value to you. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, going back to the old Jewish ways, to be a proper Christian, allegedly, if you do that, you're required to obey the whole law. That was the whole thing in the first place. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated by Christ, from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, 
we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's now moot. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. <coughs> Excuse me. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, here he gets really cheeky. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Don't cut a bit of it off. Go the whole way. Go on. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. <clears throat> Harsh warnings there, isn't there? He's saying, guys, do you realise what you've been saved into? Why on earth would you want to go back? Don't go back. Why would you do that? And yet I'm sure many of us have heard times of battered spouses going back to their abusive husband or wife. Why are you doing that? Because I love them and they said they're going to change. Sometimes that is possible. I'm not saying abusive relationships aren't redeemable sometimes. God can work miracles. But sometimes you're going back simply to be abused. You're allowed to not go back. Why would you do that? People go back to old ways, knowing sometimes full well what they're going into. And Paul's saying, you could never keep up the law. The law was simply a mirror and a signpost to show the way to Jesus. It was the means to an end, it wasn't the end. It was part of the promise leading up to Jesus fulfilling it for you. So why would you go back to that? You don't have to. You're making life harder for yourself. I mean, what does that look like for us today? We're not ex-Jews. Any of us ex-Jews? We're not ex-Jews. So we're not actually talking about us going back to circumcision and dietary laws, are we? But we can still talk about going back to old habits, old ways of thinking. When you were growing up, you thought it was all about the yin and yang of life and good and evil, and I choose to do good, and if I keep doing that enough, I'll be more good than the other person. And yet the Bible says we're all on a level playing field and we're all sinners. But we can go back to that old way of thinking, can't we? Or, as David mentioned, you can go back to the old license, old freedom to do what you want. Well, I've got Jesus now, so I can smoke 40 a day and get drunk. It doesn't matter. I can sleep around because I'm saved. It doesn't matter anymore. Yes, it does. Because now you're dishonouring your saviour. It's a relationship now. Was it Paul says, You, my brothers, were called to, this is verse 13, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature or flesh, the old way, the old life. Rather, serve one another in love. It's a whole different perspective. It puts a whole new spin on everything. Because even growing up, my parents were relatively strict. And growing up, my idea of freedom was not having them around. Yeah, simples. So as I grew up, and I was able to drive and get out with my mates and go down the pub a lot, and I didn't get drunk when I drove, don't get me wrong. 
but go out with my mates and I could get drunk, so I did. I could take drugs, so I did. I didn't take many, put me right off actually. But I did it because I could. Bonkers, isn't it? I did have sex before I was married because I could. Wish I hadn't now. It's because I'm free. This is freedom. Actually, all I was doing was just filling an empty hole that would never get filled. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Does it make you happy? For a moment. So many people, so many celebrities say, I did everything I could, the parties and the girls and the drugs, and I still feel empty. It doesn't fill a hole. But you think that's freedom. No grown-ups. It's like that song, is it Primal Scream? I'm free to do what I want any old time. And everyone thinks that song because it's a great song. What a great truth. No, it's not. Load old baloney. That's not helpful. I like the song musically, but is that really a healthy lifestyle? I hope you'd all say no. <laughs> yeah, well done, yes. Freedom is not about doing what you want, when you want, as far as the Bible is concerned. No grown-ups. Amy, Amy watches this thing on CBBC called The Spartacle Mystery. Don't watch it. It's rubbish. But it's awful acting. Oof. Some child actors are very good, aren't they? Many aren't, and they still appear on television. It's Spartacle Mystery. It's a great premise, though. One day, all these kids wake up one morning, and all the adults of the world have vanished. And there's all about quantum physics and the reason why it's happened, and they're in another dimension or something. But they're now living on this planet with no grown-ups. And very quickly, you see two groups appear, emerge. There's some kids that are like, hey, our dreams have come true. And they are living it up. And actually, they're not a very nice bunch. Because they're all out for each other and for themselves. And there is another group that emerges, the main protagonist we follow, that actually realising they need grown-ups about. Because it brings security, protection, wisdom that they don't have. No grown-ups does not mean true freedom. As far as the Bible is concerned, and Paul is saying here, true freedom is you are free to follow him and do what he asks of you. You are free to listen to your parents and obey them. You are free to not as well. But he's saying, guys, you are free to, so why don't you? They did a psychology experiment in America. I think it's quite a few decades ago. Was it the 60s? It was a school. It's a big schoolyard, what we call a playground. It's quite an open space, all flat. And these kids were running around. It's quite a big yard, and they play around at lunchtime, etc. Have a great old time. And they did an experiment where, for a period of time, they removed the fence, removed the railings. And the kids all huddled all the way through playtime, every playtime, huddled and played near the school building. No difference, just the fence was missing. Now, after a period of time, they put the fence back and the kids used all of the playground to play in. They felt safe. And they actually they were freer to play when there were boundaries. Interesting, isn't it? They were obviously frightened about who might wander up to them, a car might come careering off the road, whatever it might be, a number of reasons. Or just the psychological, I don't feel right. I want to be near my safe spot. But knowing there was a boundary, they used all of the yard. It's fascinating, isn't it? I don't know if you've done the Alpha course, but Nicky Gumbel talks in the Alpha course about a football match. Where he turned up, it was one of his sons, took one of his sons along to a football match and the referee was running late. 
So Nicky goes, it's all right, I'll do that. I'll be the ref. The match starts and kids fall over and, foul, sir, foul, no, 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 play on, play on, don't worry about it. And That was a free kick, no, 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 keep going. And that wasn't a goal, no, no, one nil, well done. And by the time the ref finally turns up, there's kids rolling around on the ground with blood and limbs everywhere and everybody's arguing and having fights about that shouldn't have been a goal and that should have been disallowed and so on and so forth. The ref comes in, takes over, starts the match again, follows the rules of football and they'll have a beautiful game. Rules give us freedom to live the best way. See, this is different. This isn't rules to be saved. This is a way of life to honour the one who saved us. Our great big referee, if you like. I've had a fascinating debate shortly before we went away on the internet with the guy. He was quite vehement. But I couldn't keep my mouth shut. But it was, it was the announcement of David Cameron. <laughs> Surprised? Uh, when David Cameron announced about these um, internet blocks for pornography on the internet and bringing in these new measures where you have to opt in with your ISP, your internet service provider, to say, I want to be able to receive porn, otherwise the default is you can't in your house. And David Cameron announced all these plans that are coming through, and Twitter erupted. And it actually, to be honest, it actually revealed the people who like porn, (laughs) actually, interestingly. But I had a debate with this guy. He's saying, do you want a censored part of the internet, or do you want freedom to have all the internet. This is censorship, this is communism, la, 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 la. And I said to him, mate, I'm sorry, I can't keep my mouth shut. I would rather only be able to receive part of the internet knowing I'm safe, my wife's safe, my daughter's safe. Why is that a problem? Because this is censorship, this is the beginning of the end. Other, other innocent websites will get caught up in this filter because it's all computerised and that. I don't care if some innocent websites get caught up in this filter, I can't then receive porn. Is that not a good thing? Porn is so damaging to society, and I could do a whole sermon on it. It's insidious. It destroys your thought life, how you view other people as objects. It affects your own personal life with your spouse. It's dangerous. I'd rather only be able to receive part of the internet and not have to worry about that coming up on my screen to protect my own temptations or to protect it happening by accident. We've come across Amy and her friends innocently, as far as we can work out, coming across a couple of things on YouTube. Lesbians kissing and stuff. We've had it, she's been very grown up about it and we've had a chat about it. And she presented us the opportunity to have that conversation in some ways. But it's difficult. It's everywhere. It's on the front of magazines down the co-op. We've got to be so careful. And so actually, with, that, with Talk Talk, with one of the people who are setting the scene here, they, they actually, you can go through the website, through your account, and I've put on a porn block. And even some more innocent sites that I've tried to get to won't come up on my screen now. So it's not even just my software at home, my internet service provider won't let it get through to my house. I'm happy with that. I'm restricted, but I'm safe, and I'm free to live a good way knowing I'm safe. Do you see what I mean? There is, there is freedom in restrictions. It's healthy. Like I say, the people who argue the point... I suspect to the people who just wanted to be able to look at porn freely. It's not good. It's not helpful. So just picture a plot of land. Mike Betts uses this to describe uh, discipline and safe ways of doing things within church. He says, you see it as an acre of land. 
And there is a healthy, helpful, biblical boundary around the land where you don't go as church or as individuals. But within that, you can do what you want inside it. Planting plants, and you can put the path there. No, actually, you're going to put the path over there. That's okay, the makeup. That's why churches look different. But as long as there's safe boundaries around how we do things. It's the same for our own individual discipleship. Okay. So I now get that it's not about rules and regulations to be saved. And it's not strictly about, now you're a Christian, here's the manual. Now you do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. It is about relationship. But then still, that can appear a bit murky, can't it? Still a bit, I can't quite grasp what I'm supposed to do as a Christian, who I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to look like. Still a bit grey. We like it black and white, so we know if we're getting it right or wrong, don't we? So what do we do? It is about relationship, but it's about a certain type of relationship which Paul and others in the Bible keep referring back to. Do you want to turn to Romans chapter 6? And here is the key in all of this. We are no longer slaves to the law or our old life, so to speak. But there's a cunning twist. Romans chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 15. Just because you're not slaves to sin doesn't mean you're no man's man or woman. Verse 15 from Romans 6. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Excuse me. By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Not you can act like a slave to righteousness or you will become a slave to righteousness. If you are Christ, if you have placed your faith in him as the only means to be right before God through what he's done for you, you are his, you are his slave. This is a good connotation of the word. Because we think a slave and someone chained and manacled in a cell somewhere. This understanding of this word slave is slightly different. It crops up in different forms throughout the New Testament. The very first verse, you can flick through it, if you're already in Romans, flick to the first verse of Romans. First verse, first chapter. Very first verse of the whole book. How does Paul describe himself? Servant. Hey, stepping ahead, ain't you? That's fine. Servants. Go to Philippians, if you're able to find it. Don't worry if you can't. Philippians, the very first verse of Philippians. How did Paul and Timothy describe themselves? Servants. First verse of James. This is Jesus' own half-brother. What does he say in the very first verse? How does he describe himself? A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus' half-brother goes, he's my brother and I'm his servant. What does this word mean? The original word there is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. And as Kay has already rightly pointed out, it means bondservant. This is a whole new paradigm of relationship. This isn't a slave, an employee, a butler, that kind of servant. Nor is it a slave chained in a cell. This is a bondservant, which says, I'm yours. 
Who remembers Hugh Pierce, who leads our Whitstable Church, came here last December to preach on hope? He tells a great story about being a bond servant. This is brilliant. He, uh, he grew up in Harare, Zimbabwe. And uh, his dad owned a plot of land, and they had bond servants, as it were, in that local culture. That's how it works. Local people, local black people, who were their bond servants. They were more than just staff who were employed. I'm, I belong to the family to serve the family for life. And there was one guy, a bond servant, if you like, and he was stealing off them. It took a while for them to suss out what he was up to, but it was him, nicking stuff. So they confronted him and said, sorry, got to let you go, you're fired. So he went, came back. What are you doing here, we fired you? Because now I'm your bond servant. He goes, no, no, you can't, you've been stealing from us, you're fired. You've got to go, you've got to leave. We can't have you around. And he insisted, he fought. He said, no, I'm yours. I promised you I'm yours, I'm here to serve you. He ended up staying. He carried on stealing for a bit after that as well. Strange mix-up in his head of (laughs) what it means to be a bond servant. But the primary thing is, he said, no, I am yours to serve you. That's a bond servant. It's out of a love for that father figure. It's about a love for our Father. We go, I want to do what I want, and I'm saved by Christ for my future sins, as, as Adrian rightly pointed out earlier as well in his prayer. All your future sins are dealt with. doesn't mean you go on sinning. Because how much, how much am I spitting in his face, my Papa Daddy, by continuing to sin? We still do. We still make mistakes. We're still human. We understand that. And he understands that, which is why he's made the way to deal with our future sins already. He's one step ahead of us all the time. That doesn't mean it's all right. You can go sinning and doing what you want now because you're going to go to heaven. This is about a love. This is about a bond service. I love you. I couldn't save myself. And I'm yours. What do you want me to do? In this situation, in this moment of temptation, in this choice, whatever it might be. See, we need a guide, don't we? In that grey stuff, rather than black and white, we need a guide. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's why Christ gave us the Holy Spirit, our counsellor. To be by our side, to be within us at all times. And to foster, for us to foster that relationship and be open to him, as we prayed earlier. That we can hear those nudges. And as we grow in relationship with him, we sense those nudges quicker and stronger. To know where to go in choices in moments and you know, landmarks in life, when we're tempted. Because temptation is a question of who do you love. When you're tempted to look at something, when you're tempted to snap out or join into gossip, you feel that nudge from the Holy Spirit, and so often we go and do it anyway. But at that very moment, you're saying, I love me more than you, God, or I love that person or that thing more than you. And to think of it now, soberly, that's quite horrifying, isn't it? To say that to the God of the universe. But that's what we do every time we give in to temptation. And yet his love and grace is sufficient enough to cover that. And he's always there to welcome us back. Which is why we should keep a short account. See, it's not about rules and regulations. This is about a loving relationship. Two-way relationship. You know the verse... Oh, we got The verse, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. When Paul says... Whatever is true, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You know that verse? Fairly common one. Don't worry if you don't. But he says it, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about those things. Quite often that verse is taken to be prescriptive. We only think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Therefore, I won't, look at any, I won't watch a film with a swear word in it. It can become so rigid, it's prescriptive. If you only ever looked at whatever was true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, you wouldn't read the Bible, actually, because of the stories in there, quite clear about death, murder, sex, some horrific stuff. God paints the black in here to show us how brilliant the white is. Yeah? That is a less, descript- a less prescriptive verse rather than don't sin. If you're going to watch something, read something, do something that's going to cause you to sin, don't do it because you're dishonouring your father. But there's a lot of grey stuff where we have trouble making choices. Should I watch a Certificate 18 film or not? Depends on you and your wiring. Depends on what you're susceptible to for temptation. When it comes to violence and swearing, we're okay with it because it doesn't, me and Jenny personally, because it doesn't affect us. Some people, some violence does affect people. There's a limit to how violent the film is, obviously. But when it comes to sex, I tend to fast forward through the sex scene because I know it's a temptation for me to be looking at that. I don't need to look at that. But what Paul is saying here, you are free to watch Certificate 18 films and you're also free to step away from it because it's not good. Do you see the difference here? It's not Christians shouldn't watch Certificate 18. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you should either. But there needs to be a wisdom in here as you foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You are free to drink alcohol. You are free to not not, to not get drunk because, again, it dishonours him in your lack of self-control. But you're free to drink some alcohol but you're also free to not drink alcohol. You're free to have a tattoo. We're not under the law, but you're free to not have a tattoo. It's about fostering a relationship with him and knowing what he wants of you. Does that make sense? I've had my eye on a number of different piercings I'd love to have. I want more studs in my body. I like piercings, but I also know it probably won't be very helpful as a church pastor to have my body full of bling, and that's why I haven't. I'm free to get another piercing, but I'm also free not to. And talking to God about it, I sense it's probably best not to because it won't be helpful because of my role as a pastor. Because that could actually cause more problems than benefit. Does that, does that make sense? You're free to do these kind of grey areas, but you're also free not to, depending on what you're tempted by, depending on what God wants of you, depending on what's beneficial, what's sinful, and so on. Does that make sense? This is freedom, knowing his safe boundaries, where we can then walk in freedom. Go back to the original Galatians chapter 5. Verse 13 and 14 sums up a lot of this. This is about relationship again. Galatians 5 verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you love God, you will love others. That's pretty much what the Christian life is all about. If you have trouble summing it up in your head, it's love God, love others. That's what we're called to do as a church. If you really love God, you really will love others. Because he, he, he transforms you, 
we become more and more like Jesus, the more we spend time with him. Did he love people? Boy, did he. He spoke the truth in love sometimes. It was always in love. And if we're called to love others, my lack of integrity affects you. Not just as a leader, but as a brother. If I lived a life of license now, I'm saved, it's okay, I'm going to heaven, I can do what I like. Not only does that damage my integrity, my welfare, my thought life, my body possibly, depending on lifestyle, but it would damage you guys because you're missing out on what God could offer you through me, through the gifts you've given me. And vice versa. Your lack of integrity affects the church as well. Does it not? Which is why Paul's talking about a little bit of yeast spreads through the dough. So it's about loving others as we honour him. As well as the overt, you want a cup of water, I'll give you a cup of water. You want some money, I'll give you some money. As well as the direct stuff. But it's also, my personal life affects you as well. Because then you're missing out and I'm missing out. But also, being frightened of stepping out, hiding away, inactivity, passivity, sitting on the edge of church, not willing to be challenged, not willing to grow, affects the church. Because we're missing out on what you have to offer through what God's giving you as a gift. Do you see? It's about loving each other. How committed to each other are we? Not because we should be committed to each other, because we can. And because we love each other, because we love our Father. Same but different, yeah? Moving on, before we finish, we are free to be his slaves in the right sense of that word. See, mom, she was rescued. That Cambodian teenager I was talking about. She was at home in the village, rescued from her life of sex slavery. She was free to return to that. She was also free to stay. She had that choice. She had a freedom. She went back because of what that life, how that lifestyle drew her back. And I'm sure she knew full well the dangers of what she was getting into. I'm sure she knew full well it wasn't the right place to be, but her body craved aspects of that lifestyle so much she couldn't resist it. It's very sad. See, staying would have been much harder for her. She'd had to go through some kind of cold turkey, withdrawal symptoms, the old cravings, and she just couldn't face that, and it was easier for her to go back, knowing the greater benefit would have been to face that and stay. Jesus never promised the Christian life would be easy, did he? He promised the opposite. Just because it's a reality, not to put us off, but to make us be aware of what we're stepping into. As soon as you become a Christian, you're going against the whole grain of the world. What the world stands for, what the world believes, what the world thinks, what the world expects. And people won't like it, because there's a spiritual dimension to it, of course. I just read this morning a brilliant book, Gagging Jesus by Phil Moore. All, the, thing, all the, the type of gagged Jesus who's softly, softly and nice and clean and we do away with the bits we don't like in the Bible. Saying, ungag, let Jesus say what he said in the Bible. And he goes through different aspects of things we don't like Jesus, what Jesus has said that we don't always like. And he talks about this sacrifice of the Christian life. And he tells stories about a girl who became a Christian, went back home, told her husband, and he went, it's him or me. You can't have two blokes in your life. It's Jesus or me. She had to face that decision. She chose Jesus. Turned out her husband was bluffing, fortunately. But sometimes people have to make tough decisions for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want marriages to break up. 
But at any point, he wants himself to be number one because he's your saviour. If I love Jesus more than I love, if I love Jenny more than I love Jesus, I've got my marriage wrong. If Jenny loves Jesus more than me, she does, thank God. Because I could never match up to that. I'd always let her down. Still do. I'm a bloke. It's about Jesus being number one. And quite often that that comes with sacrifice, doesn't it? It's a hard life. Phil also talks about a Muslim family where a young girl, 16-year-old Muslim girl, blown away by Jesus, well and truly saved. Her dad and a whole load of other family members came to her house to kill her. Not that long ago in the north of England. She had to hide in a cupboard in the bathroom and then escape. She can't see him anymore. She had to make that decision. Is it my family or is it Jesus? It's a hard decision. It doesn't always happen. Thank God. But we all have different aspects of our lifestyle, of our temptations that we have to face and we have to make sacrifices. You are free. It's the harder choice to make, like mom, to stay and face those, live with those old cravings but not go back to it. A new Christian, everything's bright and breezy and everything's brilliant, but very quickly those old cravings, what you lusted after in your old life, come back again. It's harder to stay in stands, isn't it? But it's far greater. It's far greater. Mom was brought literally from death to life. And for us, thankfully, when you are saved, you are eternally saved. Your salvation is secure. You won't lose your salvation. If you are genuinely saved, you will always be saved. Got any questions about that? Come and find me after. But you can still miss out on the benefits of it today. By going back to the old life, the old ways of thinking, the old temptations, giving in and telling God you prefer that to him at that point. Even Jesus is our great example. He was free to not die on that cross. He sweated not just buckets, he sweated blood in that garden when he knew what was coming up. And he was free to make that choice and he still followed it. And he shed the blood that he sweated. Because he wanted to, because he loved you, because he loved me. The very least I can do is honour him with my choices. I am free to make those choices. But I want to make sure I honour him every single time. Do we not? When we're tempted, when we face choices in life, whom will I serve? Will it be the old way? Will it be myself? We are never no one's slave. If you're not Jesus' slave, you're your own slave or someone or something else's slave. What are you like when no one's looking? What are you like when you're at home, you think no one's there? Or when you're out and no one's, you think no one's looking? That reveals who or what you're slave to, where you go. You can't serve two masters. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 6. You can't serve God and money is the example he uses at the time. So the question always, when we're tempted and when we have a choice to make in life, who is my master? Who do I love? And like Hugh's dad's guy, you're my master because I love you and I'm yours for life. So I don't need to do that. I can do that, but I'm not going to because it will dishonour you. I think we'll leave it there. Well, let's just pray. Freedom. True freedom. Lord, thank you that we are free to love you.
but we're only free to love you because you set us apart to be able to do that. I wasn't free to love you when I was lost in my sin before you saved me. But now I am free to continue following you. And Lord, that is the harder path in life, always, to follow you rather than my desires. But we say, Holy Spirit, come and help us. That in the freedom of those choices, we always honour our Father in heaven. Always honour our Saviour Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are free to remain in heaven and not come and save us, but you chose to. We thank you that we are free to respond and we just want to bless you black richly with our lives, with our words, with our actions, with our thought lives, with our relationships. We want to bless you and honour you. But it's not because you demand it of us and we have no option, but because the freedom to do so makes it so much better. Thank you, Lord. But in that freedom, let us not despise it, but let us love you more. But we need your help to do that. Help us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Any questions, come and find me.